0: Hello, everyone. This is Tricia, and I'd like to welcome you to the Aplastic Anemia and MDS International Foundation 35th Anniversary Podcast. As we look back over 35 years of both service to the bone marrow failure community and in advances in treating these diseases, we're taking a moment to check in with patients and caregivers who have experienced combating bone marrow failure diseases today. We're talking with Stephen King. As an engineer, Stephen was used to processing information, so he used this practice to engage with his physicians after his initial diagnosis of aplastic anemia. He is also a long serving board member for AAMDSIF, and we appreciate him for that service. Stephen has a deep perspective to share with us on this 35th anniversary year for the foundation. Welcome, Stephen. Good morning, Tricia. Um, I'd like to start with a question that will take you back in time. As you think back to the time when you were first diagnosed with aplastic anemia, which information that you found or received helped you the most in dealing with your diagnosis or treatment? Which, which resources did you use to learn more about your disease?
1: Well, that is taking me back a ways. Uh, I was initially diagnosed with severe aplastic anemia uh, in June of 1985. Uh, I had been out of the Marine Corps for about two years. I was getting ready to start my senior year at the University of Georgia uh, when, uh, when I was diagnosed. And honestly, at that time, you know, no, no internets. We had a mainframe at Georgia that I was uh, working on, but there were no, no personal computers, no internet. Uh, if you wanted to find out information, you had to either know someone in the medical community, which really I found out as I got into this, uh, doesn't necessarily mean they understand the details of these rare diseases. Um, so, At the point, uh, I got my Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons complete home medical guide. I had to look back. Uh, That was really the only thing I had to to look at at the time. Um, It wasn't until after my treatment that I was fortunate enough to find at that time the uh, Aplastic Anemia Association of America, which was the forebear of the AAMDSIF organization. But in the beginning, there wasn't much information out there. So uh, I had to kind of rely on doing a little bit of research and, you know, honestly, patients at that stage, I was on blood transfusions and recommending that I stay at home at that point because I'd been in the hospital a number of weeks. And finally, they kind of got things figured out and knew what I had. And I was uh, told just to kind of remain at home and rest and I'd go in every couple of days for blood transfusions. So... I just sat there and uh, kind of talked about it with uh, people that I knew, who would then go out and do the stuff for me. And what they were bringing back was pretty light, and wasn't a lot of hope at the time.
0: Wow, that that really is back in the beginning of the of when the organization was active. Um, so I'm assuming that the life expectancy or prognosis when you were first given your diagnosis was um, not very encouraging.
1: That is correct. Um, again, you know, the doctors that I saw, I have to give credit to, they immediately recognized. I was in a, at, at Georgia and I'd come home for the weekend. I had not been feeling well. And uh, before I went back after the weekend, I had a conversation with my father and told him that, you know, my hearing was muffled. I had this headache and my eyes were blurry. And so he said, you're, you're not going back. Come on, we're going to the, we went to uh, at that, what I used to call the doc in the box. They're now your local community um, medical centers that you can go in and talk with uh, a physician or a PA And uh, that gentleman recognized immediately that I was anemic and called a a hospital in Marietta, Georgia, about 40 miles north of Atlanta. And again, once I got there, they put me on transfusions, recognized immediately that I had something that they had never seen before. And uh, fortunately, called some folks who were touched with uh, the Hutchison Center out in Seattle, but... During those early days, I had a couple of paragraphs out of the the medical guide, and I knew that they had diagnosed me with what was known as idiopathic severe aplastic anemia, Um, and that's uh, kind of a moderate to severe, as it says, uh, condition within the aplastic anemia. There's another uh, grouping, but that means of unknown. Idiopathic means of unknown origin, and at that time, transplants were very risky. They just really started to get into the clinical treatment. Uh, I didn't have a match, even though I had had two brothers and my father. They were only doing uh, relative matches at that time, and I didn't have one. So based on what the physicians and what I read in the Columbia Guide, uh, it said that uh, patients had a fairly poor prognosis with usually succumb to bleeding or infection within a year because you uh, you're living on blood transfusions and eventually you use, lose your immune system. And that's usually what did you in. So yeah, it was pretty grim. It wasn't very helpful. <laughs> it wasn't, let's put it that way at that time. It was not very helpful. Although in the long run, it it did put you in this frame of mind. I'm fortunate. I'm very thankful I had my military background and, you know, family and religion and things to fall back on because it was a, it was a monumental task to kind of put put that down and look at it and figure out how to even move forward at that point. Um, but, you know, here we are. Uh,
0: that's, that's wonderful. Did I read that you had participated in a clinical trial?
1: I was in one of the early stage trials for antithial globulin, currently known as ATG. Um, that was, I believe, the second or third phase of that. And at the time I received the horse ATG, they now can do it with uh, the rabbit or horse. Um, but that's, yeah, back in the early days of that treatment, uh, because I wasn't eligible for a transplant. Uh, they had figured out that Some of the white cells had migrated into my bone marrow and were attacking the hemopoietic stem cells that create the juvenile blood cells. And that's what was causing the anemia. Uh, So they had figured out to take those white cells and, and inject those into a control horse animal that would then generate antibodies to kill. My white cells, and then they took those antibodies, mixed them with uh, some blood, and transfused them to me, where it migrated into my bone marrow and killed off those um, white cells that were attacking my my, my blood cells. So that's uh, that's how they put me into remission, and that was uh, by October of '85, about four months after I'd uh, I had to be transferred to the Fred Hutchison, then known as the Cancer Research Center, it's just known as the Research Center today, um, where I worked uh, with their doctors. Because I was in the military, and this was a very expensive, I had what I kind of know, we know, broken arm or college insurance. It covered kind of the basics, but not catastrophic illness. So fortunately, my military career provided me the opportunity to go into a VA hospital and The VA there in Washington, in Seattle, is a part of that medical research group with the University of Washington and the Hutch. So I was able to get onto one of their protocols and was able to get the ATG treatment there. And by October, things started to come back, and uh, by January of uh, 86, I was kind of back at home, up and starting to move around, although it took a long time to be able to handle a full eight hour day. Uh, it was quite uh, quite the battle back. It took about another six to eight months. Um, but I entered uh, back into college in August or September of eighty six.
0: Oh. Wow, um, that's that's quite a story. So my so my last question that I'm giving everyone, is when you look back at your first diagnosis, uh, you probably have more than this on this than a lot of people who have um, a history that's not quite as lengthy as yours. But when you were looking back at your first diagnosis, what do you wish someone had told you? Or what piece of advice would you like to give to patients who have just heard their diagnosis?
1: Well, that's, uh, that's a difficult question question, I think. Um, I would say, first of all, you know, educate yourself. That is probably the most difficult thing to do. You know, I can't remember if I could take the liberties. Uh, When this was all going on, my mother, who, you know, she's still with me, and I'm so thankful she was there at the time, but it was so out of character for her to say to me one evening when I was kind of up to it you know I just had enough of it And she said you know sometimes it's really difficult to remember that your primary objective uh was to drain the swamp when you're uh up to your neck in alligators and it <laughs> kind of you know it kind of hit it's me that true. it is very true and so the key to that was you know unfortunately again the engineering background I had this kind of analytical thing about me So it was a problem I had to figure out. You know, I knew there wasn't a big solution, like it wasn't going to get me better. But it's still there was, you know, trying to figure out a way forward. So educate, you know, educate yourself. Talk to folks that have been around it. You know, the caregivers and the parents need to talk with other parents. My mother uh, attends conferences with me. And when she first came, uh, I asked her to come. She was a little hesitant, and I said, "You know, she didn't. You know, she would didn't necessarily want to relive it. I think at the time, but this was 1993. My father passed away a couple of years later, and I was looking to, you know, kind of get my mom out and expand a little bit. And we walked into the hotel, and within an hour, we had met a woman whose son had recently been diagnosed. I was 28 at the time. Um, her son was." I think 22 or 23, just graduating college. And they ended up spending the whole weekend together. And I think it was very helpful hearing my mother come back, telling me all the things this woman wanted to know. And she knew the answer. She knew what had happened. She knew how to go through it, the emotional state and what was going to go on. And so learning from others that have been through it, educating yourself, write everything down, start a journal, Um, you're going to find out that over time this condition changes. The survival rates today are incredible. Um, You know, even bone marrow transplants are up in the 70 plus percent. uh, And some of them that you have matched donors or, you know, there's very little risk to them at all. So, you know, you have to have a plan. I didn't, I didn't really have a plan for the first couple of years. Uh, My, my, I kind of convinced myself based on everything that I knew at the time and what I was hearing that there was a good chance. They told me I wouldn't, sur- you know, survive the transplant, and there was a good chance, you know, that the the treatment would at those times was about fifty to sixty percent. And there's been follow up to to confirm that. I don't know what the long term survival rate's been. So for the first few years, I was kind of in this survival mode, just kind of happy to be back. <laughs> Sure, Uh, But after a couple of years, you know, you have this realization that, oh, you know, they did it. I'm going to survive. And let me tell you, the information, the treatments, the knowledge that's available out there today, um, you will survive it. Um, I know a lot of people that are are living today, eight, ten years. I've, I've been in the community for a little over Thirty years. Those first couple of years, I was kind of the prodigal patient. I thought I was done. I thought I was, uh, you know, I was in remission. Uh, three years later, after that, I was diagnosed with paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, uh, another rare, what's known as PNH. Um, so it took me a few years to realize this was the new normal, and it was okay that it was a new normal because. Everybody gets a new normal as they get older and mature and grow. So get used to yours and have a plan and educate yourself and kind of keep track of what's going on. Because as time goes on, your body changes, your mind changes. And trust me, your relationship with the condition will change. So uh, that, that's my long-winded recommendations for anybody coming into this. Thank you.
0: Thank you for your insight and for um, sharing of yourself with uh, patients and caregivers and friends of uh, patients today and, and for giving us your insight over long-term survivalship. And
1: congratulations for that. Well, thank you very much, Rashad. I appreciate it. It's uh, been a lot of fun talking with you about it. I haven't really sat down in a while. So it's, uh, it was good for me to take some time to reflect on it as well. So thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it.
0: And thanks to everyone in the audience as well for joining us in this podcast series, celebrating the 35th anniversary of the Aplastic Anemia and MDS International Foundation. You can find these podcasts along with other recordings on the website at aamds.org podcast. We'll see you next time. So long.